0: Good morning again. Hey, we are back in Philippians. We've been kind of journeying through this book off and on the last year or so, and we are in our final little mini-series going through the book of Philippians, and uh, we're calling this series A Good Word, A Good Word. I don't know if you've ever had someone uh, just drop a little truth nugget on you and you walk away, man, that was a good word. Like, it was just something that you weren't expecting. I'm in a, a cohort with a couple of guys, pastors, and the guy that's leading it, at our discipler, he, uh, at the end of every call we have together, uh, he always kind of just drops these little spiritual nuggets on us, uh, random thoughts that he has. And typically, through our, our conversation, it's that little five minutes at the end where he drops some of these little random thoughts that I go, man, that was a good word. That's exactly what I need. And, and that's kind of how Paul ends the letter to the Philippians. He, he ends this letter with a, 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 a series of exhortations and commands Dealing with a variety of things, and when you look at it, you know, each of these real-life truths that you see and instructions that he gives, it's just a good word. And so uh, each week, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at each of those and just see the good word that Paul has for us. This morning, we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to live a life that's shaped by the gospel, A life that's shaped by the gospel. More specifically, what does it look like for us when life is full of stress and anxiety and worry is consuming us? How does the gospel influence how I respond in those anxious, stressful uh, seasons of our life? Specifically, how does does the gospel shape our heart and mind when we're filled with anxiety? Anybody ever battle anxiety? Lift, Lift your hand up if that's you. I just wanna make sure we're all, okay, so we're talking to somebody today, all right? And this is very real and Paul is gonna give us some very real direction on how the gospel influences us in those seasons of stress. That we've gotta protect our heart, we've gotta protect our mind. That's important both physically and spiritually. I've been in a season of going to the doctor quite a bit. Um, it's not because nothing, anything's wrong, it's because I'm 45 years old and things are starting to go wrong and so I'm trying to stay ahead of it and so I've had more blood work done, more tests, I got more tests to go, I've got all these visits and every time I go to a doctor they automatically will do two things every time. They'll examine my heart and then they'll follow up with these questions like, uh, are you exercising and are you eating well? And I'm like, is it multiple choice? All right, can, we, can I get one of them right and it'd be okay? And so uh, then they'll ask questions like, are you taking your medications? And then I'm typically like half the time I am and that's not good enough. But then they'll ask me questions outside of the heart. They'll ask me questions like, um, are you sleeping well? Are you, are you anxious? Are you, do you have clarity of thought? Is there anything that's causing you to not process things? And so they're asking me these, these questions but it really come down to, they wanna make sure that I have a healthy heart and healthy mind. And this is what Paul is going to do for us spiritually. He's gonna give us some instructions that help us not have a healthy heart and a healthy mind, but rather, how in those moments of anxiety and stress can we have a healthy heart and a holy mind? That's what we're gonna look at this morning. So Philippians chapter four, we're gonna start reading in verse four. If you're there, say the Bible is true. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So here's what we have. This church in Philippi are going through a season of anxiety and stress. They have all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of stress. Here's a couple of them. Paul, who's writing this letter, uh, planted their church. He's the one who started their church. He's a dear friend of the congregation that he's writing to, and he is in prison, and he doesn't know whether he's gonna live or die, and so they have got the anxiety and the stress of knowing whether or not they're gonna see this, this friend of theirs, this Paul, that they love so much. They also have sent another friend of theirs to relieve Paul, to send him a gift to help him in his time, and they're worried that he's not going to make it back. There's persecution that's happening all around them, and so the future is uncertain of whether or not their safety and security are going to be intact in the days ahead as they suffer for Jesus. There's there's disagreements within the church. There's congregational conflict. In fact, if you go back and read verses two and three, there's two godly people who are at odds and there's causing division in the church. And so they've got that anxiety and stress of relational conflict. They're worried about the economy because as the Christians were being persecuted, it affected them economically. And so there's all this stress and anxiety and Paul wants to help them Cope with the stress and anxiety in a way that allows the gospel to inform their response so that they could be freed from this anxious life that we all have a tendency. And so there's a lot of things that we probably could relate to. And here's what Paul does he gives four commands to them, four commands that enable us to have a healthy heart and a holy mind and a life that is shaped by the gospel. Write these down. Here's the first command if you want to have a healthy heart and a holy mind, Paul says this, you need to rejoice in the Lord no matter what. Rejoice in the Lord no matter what. He's speaking to people who are full of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty, and here's what he says. Look what he says in verse four Rejoice in the Lord when? What's the word? I right, say it with conviction. Always, and he says again, I'll say rejoice. And I love how Paul doubles down on this because he says rejoice in the Lord always knowing that most of us, were gonna go, are you serious? Let me say it again, rejoice. Now when he says always here, that's a huge because here's what he's saying. Rejoice in the Lord when times are great. Rejoice in the Lord when all the, the money you need is in your bank account. Is that what Paul is saying? Rejoice in the Lord when all your relationships are healthy. Rejoice in the Lord when your marriage is good. Rejoice in the Lord when your kids obey. Rejoice in the Lord when your parents act like they got sense. Rejoice in the Lord whenever everything politically around us is at peace and there's calm. Is that what Paul is saying? No, he says rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Now, l- watch this. Look r- right up here for a second. With this statement, Paul is helping us understand this important truth. And that is, your joy should not be attached to your circumstances. See, what does it mean to rejoice? Rejoice is an expression of joy. It is what comes out of us when we're full of joy. We rejoice, we, we, we praise, or we give this, this, uh, 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 this, this declaration of the joy that we have within our hearts. So when he is telling us to rejoice, always he's telling us that you have to find another source of joy than your circumstances. And this is important because if we're like if we're honest, most of us are driven by circumstances and we're driven by feelings. And so our joy, if, if that's the case, comes and goes and changes like East Texas weather. Hello? Like, it's Friday night, we're barricading in our safe places because the storm is coming. We get up yesterday morning, and what happens? Man, it's beautiful sky, and today's beautiful. Man, we're just a few hours from hunkering down because of the storm, and now things are back to being beautiful and great. Why? Because we live in an area where the, where the seasons change by the hour. And that's exactly what circumstances in life do. Our circumstances, listen, we can be happy and everything being great one hour and we can be in despair the next hour, right? We can have everything going. Last week was great and awesome and the birds were chirping, some singing songs. It was incredible. And then this week, I'm like, it's the worst week of my life and I just wanna get out of it. And here's what happens if we're not careful. Go back to verse number four. If our circumstances determine Whether or not we rejoice, that means that's the source of our joy. And what Paul says to us is this. We got a better source of joy. That's why you read the full sentence. What does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. So regardless of what circumstances you find yourself in, When your joy is rooted in the Lord, that means you can rejoice, you can have joy in him because he is the source of unending joy that is not dependent upon circumstances which enables us to say, look, the day is not great, but the Lord is still good. Life is is a struggle and it's hard right now, but it doesn't matter because in the middle of the hard life that I'm in, there is a God of mercy who's walking with me. Whatever you attach your joy to, you will be dependent upon that thing for your joy to stay. Amen? Follow this. So if your joy is rooted in changing circumstances, then your joy is going to come and go like the weather as well. But if your joy is rooted in one of the greatest attributes of God, which is the unchanging nature of God. You know what the scripture says about God? He is the same yesterday, today, and when, and forevermore, which means that he doesn't change, which means that for me to find joy in him, regardless of what's happening around me, I have an endless supply of joy. Now, now don't miss the command part of this. He doesn't say to us, rejoice, and it's rooted in feeling. It's re- rooted in who the Lord is, which means we can do it always. But notice this. This is active. This is something you do. So watch this. Rejoicing in the Lord is not a feeling you possess. Rejoicing in the Lord is not. It's, it's a truth you hold. You're holding on to who he is. Now, why is this so important? It's because I can feel sad and still rejoice in the Lord. I can feel grief and still rejoice in the Lord. I can feel angry and still rejoice in the Lord. My feelings do not dictate whether or not I rejoice. Why? Because my joy is rooted in him. He is unchanging. So so here's a statement. Don't miss this. Your feelings, are your, your, your emotions rather, are a state of feelings, but joy is a state of being. It's being rooted in Christ, it's a position that you have in him, and he gives you an endless supply of joy, that's why the psalm writer says, in your presence there's fullness of joy, in your presence there is pleasures forevermore, why? because there's an endless supply in him and when he becomes the source of our joy, that means we can rejoice. You know what, here's what that looks like. I've seen families do this, this is so incredible. I have been by the side of wives who have lost their husbands, they've said their goodbye and they're planning their funeral. And In the midst of tears, there's a heart of joy. I've stood with families at the graveside, they're burying their children. And that mother or that father's heart is broken beyond our comprehension and yet in the middle of all of that in the depths of their soul there is a joy in the Lord that death couldn't touch. This is why Paul says don't rejoice in your circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. In case you didn't catch it let me say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. That's the first command he gives us we're gonna deal with stress and anxiety is that we find joy in the Lord and we rejoice in him. And this is active. We vocalize it. We declare the goodness of God in the midst of suffering. We talk about the heart in the midst of hardship, the God that provides for us and is with us and that never forsakes us. We openly, vocally, we rejoice in him because he is our joy. Here's number two. Second command I want you to see is this. If you're gonna have a healthy heart and a holy mind, be gracious to everyone. Be gracious to everyone. Look what Paul says in verse number five. He says, let your reasonableness, the word reasonableness there can literally be translated gentleness or graciousness. That's the idea. You treat people reasonably. You treat people graciously. You treat them with gentleness. Now notice what he says. Let your reasonableness or your graciousness be known to who? What's the word? Everyone. Now this this is important because here's the knee-jerk reaction. When we go through times of anxiety and stress, when we go through times of difficulty, we have a tendency when we go through anxious moments to have our guard up and that anxiety that we feel on the inside is deflected to relationships on the outside. Like it can cause, like a lot of the conflict that we have in our relationships really isn't relational conflict. It's the, it's the stress and the anxiety and the overwhelmed feeling we have on the inside that we haven't properly processed and therefore we just deflect that on those who are around us. And so let me just confess to you, this is something I've learned. I wish I would say I've learned this years ago. I just learned this recently about myself. Um, really in the last couple of weeks, I've known this part, and I've confessed this before, I have a a tendency to be a people pleaser. I have a tendency to uh, value other people's approval. Uh, I have this kind of this thing where um, uh, when I feel rejected or anxious or incompetent, At times, I will throw this guard up, and there's different responses that people have when they feel those pressures of life. Some people are flight people. They're gonna run away from people. Other people are fight people. I'm more of a fight-type person. So as the Lord has shown me some areas of growth in my life, what I've realized is that there are conflicts that I have in in relationships at times. It's because the, the anxieties and the... The the insecurities of my life when I feel threatened in those areas, I put guards up and then I project that because I want to appear to be confident when I'm not. And what happens in in my world is that relationships that I have when I do this, what happens a lot of times is that it, it doesn't, when I address conflict in that way, it doesn't minimize the conflict, it escalates the conflict. Anybody with me in that? And the Lord has just shown me, like, part of the struggle that I've got. If I'm gonna grow in maturity, here's what He's saying to me Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Like rather than, and and this is what Paul is addressing here. Paul already talked to the church about their selfish ambitions and their selfish motives. He goes back in chapter two to talk to them about the the fact that a lot of the stress and the things that they were facing were were turning inward. We wanna go to self-preservation mode. We gotta look out for number one. We gotta protect ourselves at all costs. Even if it means that I escalate the relationship and the conflict gets larger, I gotta do that because I gotta protect me. And here's what Paul is saying. No, 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 don't do that. In the midst of the stress, in the midst of the anxiety, rather than deflecting that, Here's what you need to do. Model Christ's likeness, and rather than put your defenses up, be gracious. Be kind. And it doesn't mean, when we do this, it doesn't mean we don't say hard stuff. Like, this is not just like, you know, just overlook the problem and minimize and don't address the issues of conflict. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is being rude and mean-spirited and sharp with our tongue and hateful, which we typically have a tendency to do when we walk in deep insecurity or some sort of anxiety. It's a defensive mechanism. So Paul is not saying don't address conflict. He's saying be gracious. Now, I love this, to everyone. So everyone, this is gonna blow your mind, original language, the, the Greek word there means Everyone. So, whoever you don't want to fit in that, that's who fits in that. Be gracious to your enemy. Be gracious to those who constantly irritate you. Be gracious to those who have offended you and who've wounded you. Be gracious to those who stand in opposition to you. Be gracious. Now, why, does this, the, why is this the instructions, this command that Paul gives us dealing with stress and anxiety? Let, let me show you how this works. When we're feeling anxious and overwhelmed and stressed, especially in, in, in relationships or just in general life, and it flushes itself out in relationships, here's what happens. So let's just use this scenario. You are, let's say you and, and are, are you're, I know you're anxious and there's a relationship you're in, and that anxiousness has affected the relationship, and all of a sudden you realize, I got a conflict with this person. Every time I think about them, I'm frustrated. When I want to see them. I kind of get annoyed. I know I shouldn't feel like this, but I always feel anxious when I'm around them. I'm like My chest tightens up, and I just want to get away. When you feel that, here's the question. Okay, so let's just rank that. Let's say that the, the, on, the, on the conflict scale, you're a six out of 10 in that conflict. Now, Let's say you act impulsively according to the flesh, let your anxieties and your stress dictate your response and you're not gracious and you're not kind and you're not generous to that person, giving them the benefit of the doubt in that, in that relationship and you escalate. Now you've got a sharp tongue. Now you've been kind of spiteful. Now you're saying things behind their back. Now you've got issues where you've confronted and it, it's gone from a six. Now what's happened is it's gone from a six in conflict to what? Let's put it at a nine now. I spoke harshly said some things i shouldn't have they responded i responded we go from a 6 to a 9 here's the question if that conflict moves from a 6 to a 9 does your anxiety level go up or down what's the answer it goes up now let's say the same scenario conflicts at a 6 but the joy of the lord is my strength and i'm gracious doesn't mean I don't say hard stuff, but I, I, I encounter them like Jesus would encounter them and I speak with tenderness and compassion and consider, and I listen, I don't just wanna be right, I, want, I don't wanna be, just be heard, I want resolution and I'm gracious in the situation. Let's say, it doesn't resolve it, but it moves it from a six to a three. Let me ask you this question. Has your anxiety level gone up or down? Down. Most of us, because we let our anxiety drive the way we respond in a lot of areas, specifically relationships, all we do is we perpetuate more anxiety in our life. And Paul is showing us, listen, you wanna be shaped by the gospel? Respond to situations to everyone that you're in conflict with or have struggle with like Jesus would. Be gracious. What did Jesus say when they were crucifying him on the cross? What does he pray? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was being gracious to everyone. And if we responded like that, here's what we would find, is that thing that's eating us up inside because we wanna be right, we wanna be heard, we wanna win, and all of those things that we naturally feel, here's what happens. It doesn't diminish anxiety, it grows our anxiety. But if we would just live like Jesus and be gracious... All of a sudden, our anxieties, and we, because at that point, now it's not us. This is why Paul says what he says it's not us doing this, it's Christ in us. Look what he says here in verse um, number five again. He says, Be reasonable, uh, let reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, listen to this phrase the Lord is at hand. Now, that can mean one of two things or both. Uh, Some scholars say that Paul is referring to the second coming of Christ, that, that, that Jesus is coming back. And, and because the Lord is at hand, be gracious to people, for crying out loud. Like be reasonable, be gentle. Now why would that affect the way that we respond? It's because if you're in conflict with a brother or sister in Christ, the fact that you're gonna spend eternity with them, that the Lord is at hand, he can come back at any moment, and this trivial thing that's causing this conflict that you're living in anxiety with, and all of the dysfunction in your life, does it really matter at the end of the day if Christ comes back today? The Lord is at hand. If it's a non-believer you're in conflict with, the the fact that the Lord is at hand, that his coming is near, we should have an urgency to say, I've got a conflict with an unbeliever. What matters in this relationship is not me winning the argument, but them knowing Jesus. That's what matters the most. So that could be what Paul is saying, and I think it's possibly implied. Or the Lord is at hand could just simply mean this. The Lord is with you because I don't know about you, this is a very unnatural response for me by my flesh. And what I need in those moments where anxiety is wanting to drive how I respond to people in my life, whether they're believers or unbelievers, I need the presence of the Lord with me. And what Paul could be saying here, and I think most likely saying here is, I said, hey, be gracious to everyone, why? Because the Lord is with you. Like he's with you in that conflict. He wants to give you strength to be gracious. If Christ is in you and he's with you, then that means that you can respond with his love. You say, well, I don't have enough love in me to give. I don't know that I can be gracious. That's good. Step aside. Let Jesus do it for you. The Lord's at hand. And and, and the other thing, I'll just be honest with you. So when there's conflict, and this is what I'm learning about my own self, Connors family is far from perfect. Far from perfect. And and there are conflict that we have, and even recently some conflict We've had, and I, I just totally responded the opposite of verse five. It was not gracious. I was not solution oriented. And, and here's, here's what I've, I've, I've learned when I'm, I'm kind of seeing why I respond that way is because the fleshly nature, the sinful part of me, far too often is more interested in being right and being heard than doing right and following Jesus, and what I need in those moments is the Holy Spirit of God to step in and enable me to look like him to my family, and I fall short, and here's the thing that's embarrassing, like in those moments where I'm not being reasonable or I'm not being gracious to whether it's family or somebody else in my life, you know the embarrassing part of that is Jesus is right there listening to every word. it make anybody feel uncomfortable in the room? Like he knows the response, he's there, Lord is at hand, he's, and he's over here going, really? Like that's how I responded to you? Oh, you're the receiver of grace, but not the giver. Oh, okay, I see. Oh, okay, you, I have to be reasonable with you, but you can't be reasonable with them. Man, let that one sit on you for a little bit. Be a whole lot of repentance <laughs> later on this afternoon, right, in relationships. Here's number three. A healthy heart and holy mind, what are we gonna do? We don't worry about anything, we pray about everything. We don't worry about anything, we pray about everything. Look what he says here in verse number six. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, I think this is, this is huge here. Uh, Paul is showing us here, first of all, listen to me, that anxiety is real. Why would Paul give the command, do not be anxious? Because he knows we have a tendency to be anxious. That anxiety and stress is real, but he's showing us here, now notice this, he's showing us not only is anxiety real, but anxiety has an antidote, has has a way for it to be eliminated from our life, and this is the solution, but in everything by prayer. Prayer, watch this, is the solution for anxiety. It is the number one way we combat anxiety. Now I wanna make sure you hear me say something, make sure you don't imply it, something I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there can't be a reason to have anxiety medicine at times. That there can be very, very real clinical anxiety that we need to be recalibrated physically in order for us to process things properly. And I'll, I'll say that because there have been times where I've been on anxiety medicine for that reason. But I, but I want you to hear me say this, that while that is a good and, and great gift that God has given us, all good and perfect gift comes from him, and so God is the God of science, he, he knows, he created things, so we, that's a good gift. However, that alone is not enough. This is the number one way. It is by prayer. You see, here's what happens. Our natural tendency is when when life gets hard, when things get stressful, when anxieties hit our life, here's how many times, it's unhealthy, but here's how many times we respond. We try to muscle through it on our own. And we try to find solutions and we're gonna, we're gonna wear it ourselves. And so now we're consuming our mind with the anxiety and the stress and we're trying to process, we've got all these things rolling around in our head of what we need to try to do and, and we fail at times doing and we can't do it and we try to do it and we did it and it didn't work and all of a sudden here's what happens. Because we're trying to deal with the anxiety and the stress on our own, we're not diminishing the anxiety, we're just creating a big anxiety snowball that keeps mounting in our life. Because all of our attempts and all of our failures is leading to exhaustion. And here's what, this is my story with anxiety. Here's what happens to me, is that I'll start feeling the stress of life and it starts small and I don't properly process it. And then it compounds in my life, to the point of which it consumes my mind. For me, I don't know how you you process or operate. I typically process anxiety late at night when things are quiet in the house. Which is one of the reasons I think we're so attached to our phones and things because the moment we shut our brain off of something, all of a sudden, all of those things grab a hold of us. And so our phones and television become coping mechanisms, it just kicks the can all of a sudden around 10, 30, 11, I'm laying there in bed at night and there's like a thousand things running through my mind so fast I can't keep up with them and they're just moving and all the things I gotta do. I'm feeling more and more stressful and then I finally get exhausted and fall asleep, only wake up at three o'clock in the morning and those thoughts are there and they're louder this time and I can't process them well and then I go to worst case scenarios of all the things that could go wrong are gonna go wrong and it's gonna be my fault and that's just how, and I'm feeling that. Anybody feel that ever in your life? You know what that It creates. Sleeplessness, you know what, sleeplessness creates fatigue. You know what, fatigue creates more anxiety. It creates more sleeplessness, it creates more fatigue, it creates more anxiety. And all of a sudden, because I'm trying to deal with everything myself, I'm overwhelmed. And here's what Paul is saying. Don't live like that. Don't be anxious about anything, and anything means anything. Like, put it on the list. Don't be anxious about that. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He's saying, listen, you take it to Him, and you lay it before Him, and here's what that looks like, so when I'm starting to feel overwhelmed, rather than trying to process it myself and find the solution myself, which, by the way, is really rooted in Here's the main source of anxiety that grows until it's uncontrollable in our life. Main two sources of it is pride and control. I'm too prideful to let anybody in. I'm too prideful to go to someone else for a solution. I'm too prideful to say that I can't. And I want control. So I want to fix it myself. But when I go to the Lord in prayer and I get before him, here's what I'm saying. God, I can't, but you can. I'm going from self-reliance, which creates more anxiety, to spiritual dependence, which then allows me to release my anxiety into the life of the one who has the power to do something about the things that I'm anxious about. Because when I'm in prayer, here's what I'm saying. I don't have control. I don't have the answers. I don't know which direction, but I know you do, and I'm gonna trust in you, and I don't know how to cope with this, and I specifically begin to talk to God about the things that I am overwhelmed with, and I unload those things on him, and then when I do this, I get up, and I I walk away, and about 20 minutes later, that anxiety's chasing me down. It's like, hey, don't forget about me and what I gotta do. I gotta pray again, and then 15 minutes later, what I gotta do, I gotta pray again. Why, because I'm not, gonna, I, Paul is saying, healthy heart, healthy mind, holy mind, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. So every time anxiety comes knocking on my door, I take it to the Father. And and listen, this means that we have to swallow our pride and we have to relinquish the control that we are deceived to think that we have. Because can I just tell you something? We don't have any control, really. Amen? We don't. But this is what Peter says about this. This is what, listen to the way he, he frames this. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Listen to me, that's what prayer is. Prayer is the act of humbling yourself and placing yourself underneath the mighty hand of God. You see, anxiety is created when we try to manage our life with our mighty hand and we find out very quickly we are not mighty enough. Anxiety is diminished when we relinquish control to the mighty hand of God who is in control of everything. Can I just help you with one of the character things about God I I love? God has never felt anxiety ever in his eternal existence. Think about that for a moment. God has never felt anxious. There's never been a moment in in the eternity of God where he has looked at the Holy Spirit and said, I don't know what we're going to do. He's never called a family meeting. Hey, we gotta put our heads together figure this thing out because I just really don't think this is gonna end well. Guess what, you know why? Because he is in control of everything. And when you're in control of everything, you don't have anxious anxiety about anything. But because we're not in control really of anything, we can have anxiety about everything and that's why we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, the one who is in control. Then no matter the outcome of the circumstances, it doesn't matter if he leaves us in the storm and in the crisis, if he's in the storm and in the crisis means the one that's in control of it is with me and I'm with him and then I don't have to be anxious about the outcome of the storm because I'm with the one who has power over the storm. Under the mighty hand of God. Now watch this. So that in proper time he may exalt you, lift you up, lift you out. Look at verse seven. This is beautiful. Casting. All of your anxieties. How much of our anxieties? All your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. We cast our anxieties on him because he cares about those things that you care about. He, he, he wants you to bring those things to him. And he can actually do something about it. And this is what makes this relationship with God so beautiful is that he loves us and he cares for us and he wants us to bring the things that burden us because he he, he wants to carry it for us. He doesn't want to carry it alone. But I want you to notice this last part of this verse. Go back to um, verse 6, Philippians 4, 6. I want you to see this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, supplication is another way of praying, Bring your requests, with, listen to this, thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So let me show you what that looks like. The scenario I had a second ago is I have to get down, humble myself before the Lord, swallow my pride, lose control confess honestly, God, I need you to step in. I need you to come through. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I know you have the answers, but in the midst of this, God, I know you've never left me, and I thank you for that. I thank you that you've provided up to this point everything that I need. Thank you that Jesus came and he lived and he died and regardless of what happens in this lifetime, I am secured for eternity and you spend time, rather than just being anxious over your situation, be thankful that the God of the universe knows you and he's the Lord of your situation and in that season of thanksgiving, while you're making your petitions, while you're asking for wisdom, while you're in need of direction, you give thanksgiving to him because in that moment, your perspective begins to shift. Now all of the sudden, rather than your attention being on the, this is not a word, the badness of life, maybe it is a word, I don't know. Now you're looking at the goodness of God, which is far greater than anything we face in this life. With thanksgiving is critical because prayer is not a complaint session It's a place where children can run to the heavenly father who are in need. And because we have a benevolent father who has always been good to us and will always be good to us, in that that moment of prayer, we are thanking him and we are, as he says earlier in there, rejoicing in the Lord and in the rejoicing and in the thanksgiving, circumstances may not change, but my heart does. And burdens are lightened. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will what? Will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, you see, when you take your anxiety to the Lord, here's the beautiful picture. The storm of life does not have to go away for you to experience peace. Because the best place for you to be in all of the universe is wherever God is. So if the sea is tossing the boat of life around, but Jesus is in the boat, you're better off in the boat with Jesus in the storm than on the shore without him. Right? So here's number last, and we're done. Healthy heart, holy mind, listen to this, dwell on things that honor the Lord. Dwell on things that honor the Lord. That's the last command that he gives us. This is about the mind being holy and focused on the Lord and the things of the Lord, as opposed to all the negativity that we fill our mind with. Look what he says in verse five. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is uh, excellent, if there is any excellence, If there's anything worthy of praise, listen to the command, think about these things. I love the way he phrases this. He gives us a long list of the things that we should think about, then he says, think about these things. Why these things? These things here opposed to those other things that we normally think about. Normally, listen, we navigate toward negative. That's the truth about humanity, you gotta know. We navigate toward negative, do we not? And this is not just, I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking, that's just new age nonsense. That's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is, is, he would say it another way in Colossians when he says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Don't get caught up in the negative brokenness of this life as if that's your life. Set your affections on things that are above. This is what one commentary said, this is the way that they interpreted this. He says, think about what is true, not what is false. Think about what is honorable, not dishonorable. Think about what's just, not unjust. Think about what's pure, not impure. Think about what's lovely, not repulsive. Think about what's commendable, not wrong. Think about what's morally excellent, not filthy. Think about what's admirable, not shameful. What you fill your mind with and what you fill your thoughts with will begin to define you if you're not careful. Why do we have such a holiness issue in the church today? It's because the images we see and the messages we receive, they're discipling us whether we like it or not. So if you're filling your mind and your mind is being occupied with junk of the world and the philosophies of man and the thoughts of the culture, then don't be surprised when you're not walking in holiness because your mind is filled with those things and it's what you think about. And if you're only filling yourself with negative, and you're only thinking about the negative, then don't don't be surprised when you're always anxious all the time. Because your thought life, listen, becomes a pattern for your behavior, and it becomes the way that you see and act and react to the things around you. That's just, that's, that's that's across the board for everybody, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not. Our mind influences us. Therefore, we must guard our eyes, we must guard our ears, We must immerse ourselves into the memorization and the meditation of God's word. Like, I'm gonna say something to two different groups of the room, and you're probably all gonna be frustrated with me to a certain level, and I'm okay, I'm an equal opportunity offender, all right? So here we go. The reason some of you in this demographic that's very diverse, but the reason many of you in this room live with constant anxiety about the future of our nation and politics is because you have filled your mind so much with what CNN and Fox News has to say about life that you can't think outside of it. Can I just help you? Neither CNN or Fox News has any truth or news interest whatsoever. They don't exist for that. They exist to create drama Because drama creates viewers, viewers create more money for sponsors, which means more money for the people who host the show. And because we're filling our minds on in, day and night with nonsense and it's, 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 it's bombarding us, we look it on the social media, we get emails and forwards of emails and we're filling ourselves with the nonsense of what all the secular world has to say and their interpretation and we wonder why we don't have a biblical worldview about the state of our country and where we truly are as the church because I want you to know, God is not half as interested in the future of our nation as he is the glory of King Jesus. But because we are so locked in, and for many Christians, we are more discipled by Don Lemon and Sean Hannity than we are Jesus Christ and we wonder why we look at the future as if we're just defeated, and we forget the fact that the scripture has already made it very clear. King Jesus will reign forever, and his glory has no end, and in the end, we are victorious. It doesn't matter. What happens in culture and society? Does it mean that we ignore it? No, it means that we engage it, but we don't engage it with all the rhetoric and the nonsense filling our mind of the world. We get in the Word of God and let God become the one who informs us of how we interpret culture. And for some of you, you're, you know, you're not in that demographic. But, but it's for, you, for many of you, it's your, it's your music, it's the entertainment, it's many of you in this room, this is gonna be for a lot of younger college, high school students that are in the room. Listen to me. And the same thing goes for you. Many of you, the reason you are where you are when the way that you see the world and the anxiety that you have in your life is because you've been discipled more by Taylor Swift and LeBron James and whoever you wanna plug in there then you have Jesus Christ. Why am I battling so much impurity in my life? Well, what are you watching and what are you listening to? Why am I discontinuing so many relationships? Well, what, what's the, what, like what relationships, like are you? what's dominating the way you see relationships? Is it the way that the secular world describes how relationships should feel and be? And we're feeling like social media, we're just constantly filled with anxiety because our mind are filled with images of things that really aren't real at the end of the day. And we're wondering, why am I so overwhelmed? Why am I so anxious? Why am I feeling the way that I feel? And it's simply because what you're feeding your mind and what you're feeding your thoughts are going to influence the way that you process life. What if you filled your mind with the word of God? What if the truth of who Jesus says you are is what is the loudest voice? And don't hear me say, well, pastors just said we can't listen to any music that's not Christian. I didn't say that. I'm just telling you this. You fill your mind with enough stuff, it will influence the way that you live in life. And guess who is the gatekeeper of your mind? It's you. So you gotta just choose for yourself, like what it is, whether it's the news, or whether it's music, whether it's movies, whether it's whatever, entertainment, whether it's social media, you've gotta decide. But here is what the scripture says. Whatever's pure, whatever's true, whatever is honorable, is there anything excellent? Is there anything praiseworthy? Hey, what you think about that? Why don't you let that dominate your mind? And that's a beautiful cure for anxiety. To think about the goodness of God and the things that he is pleased with. Not filling our minds with the filth that drives us further away from him. Now, the outcome is this, and this, we're gonna have a very simple response, so hang with me just for a second. And, and don't miss what he does here. Paul says this in verse nine. He says, what well, you've learned in me, and you've received and you've heard, Here's what he says, practice them. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, you remember that story when Silas and I were in prison? And rather than being anxious about whether we're gonna live, we just worshiped and we prayed. Remember what God did? God, all of a sudden the cells began to shake and earthquake happened and he delivers. Remember when I told you earlier on that I'm good with being in prison because I'm sharing the gospel with people around me. I'm rejoicing in that. I'm being gracious towards the guards. They want me harmed, but I want their salvation. Paul is saying, look, you've seen my life. And if you don't know what this looks like, just do what I do, and you'll understand. But then he says this, don't miss this, verse nine. And the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, earlier on in verse seven, he says this, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart. So two times he says, first of all, and the peace of God, that goes beyond your understanding, which means there is a peace available in the midst of stress, in the midst of anxiety, there are gonna be people look at you and go, I don't quite understand how you can be so calm and have such peace in the midst of such turmoil in your life, and you'll be like, I I can't explain it either. All I know is God is good, times are bad, but He's faithful, I'm gonna make it through it. I don't know how, but He's in control, and there's just this peace, and I can't shake it. I mean, that's the life. Now where does that kind of peace come from? He tells us in verse nine, look at it again. And the peace of God will be with you. So listen, verse seven, and the peace of God, surpasses all understanding in verse nine, and the God of peace will be with you. So watch this, when you're in the middle of anxiety, you're not asking for peace. It's not what you're searching for. See, we treat peace like some abstract feeling that I have when life is hard. That's not what peace is. Peace is a person. The God of peace will be with you. When you live this way, the God of peace will be with you. And guess what? When the God of peace is with you, he brings his peace with him, and then his peace guards your heart, and it guards your mind, and now because the God of peace is with you, the peace of God guards you, and so as negativity comes in, and you're living in that abiding, rejoicing in him, and his life is being lived outside of you, through through you, and as you find your joy in him, and as you call on his name, the God of peace with you, his peace stands and says, no, 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 thought, You're not welcome in this place. I'm guarding this heart. I'm guarding this mind. You cannot have the peace of God unless the God of peace is with you. And here's what Paul says. There are four commands. You want the God of peace. Rejoice in the Lord no matter what. Be gracious to everyone. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything and think about things that honor the Lord and the God of peace will be with you. And his peace will guard your heart and will guard your mind. Amen. Anybody want that? Anybody want that? Now, here's, here's a response. Uh, we're going into overtime, and I realize that. But, man, there was a lot of football overtime, and I was happy for every one of them yesterday. So... Um, Here's I'm gonna get I'm gonna get one of our staff members to stand, or a couple to stand over there, and a couple to stand right over here. And here's two responses, and I'm gonna ask a response from two groups of people. Number one, if you don't know Jesus in this place, I want you to know this morning, you can't have the peace of God until you met the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace, his name is Jesus, and he died for your sin. He resurrected to give you salvation, and I want to encourage you to respond to him today. And in a moment, when I call people forward, I'm going to invite you to come over here. I'm going to get y'all to spread out just a little bit because there's going to be more people coming in, and just be available. These, these couples that are standing, if you need a relationship with Jesus, and listen, I, I know you're like, man, it's 2:22 or 12:22, we're trying to get out of here, and you're, look, if it'd be crazy for you to hear a sermon like this about the peace of God that's available and you to leave this place without Him, like it's ludicrous to think I got to get to lunch and miss Jesus. So if you need a relationship with Jesus today, in a moment, I'm gonna call people forward and it's gonna be another group as well, but if that's you, then you're gonna come and find one of these couples that are standing and you just come to him and say, look, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I need to know that I have a relationship with him. Now, the second call is for people, you have a relationship with Jesus and I'm gonna put you on the spot, but you're in a season right now where you are filled with anxiety and there's a lot of stress about the future, about whatever it is. You're just like, man, I want what you're talking about. Like, I, want, I want the peace in the midst of that storm that you were talking about. And I, Here's the thing. What I'm gonna do in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to leave your seat if that's you. And I just wanna pray for you. You know the Lord, but you're just in a season of anxiety and you want this in your life. Then this step of humility, this, this act of faith of coming forward, kneeling at this altar, standing, whatever's comfortable for you letting me pray over you. My prayer is not any more effective than yours but because I love you. I want to pastor you. I want to pray over you and ask the Holy Spirit to do what we just read in your life. So right now I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And if if you're in need of salvation, then you come and find one of these that are standing. If you are a believer but you need God to step into the anxiety in your life. I'm going to ask you right now to to slip out. Just right now, slip out. And come and just, just come stand before me right here. And we're going to pray over this. Right now, just make your way all the way in. And as they're coming, I'm going to get our worship team just to sing. The name of Jesus over us. And as you're coming, just come and reverently kind of squeeze in, bow your head. Just everyone out there, listen, we're going to let the name of Jesus just kind of roll over us for a minute, getting our heart and mind focused on the one who is bigger than our problems. So let this song just kind of sing over you for a moment. Jesus.